HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for over nine years and nearly 400 episodes. And even after all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices on our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio made of two recycled shipping containers because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the food world. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. And you can even show some love for my show by selecting the food scene in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today, uh, you know, it's hot out during the summer and you need to cool down. So I brought in the self-professed Froyo addict and doyen of frozen treats, Chloe Epstein, owner of Chloe's Fruits. Now, if you don't know her product, then you haven't been in 13,000 supermarkets around the country or stopped in her amazing soft serve place on 17th Street near Union Square in New York. Um, I have frequented both (laughs) and I am completely addicted to what you're doing uh, with the frozen treat area. Now, let's start about this Froyo addiction. When, When did it start for you and where? Uh, thank you for that introduction, yeah. by the way. Um, so I'm ashamed to say my frozen yogurt addiction started pretty young. I actually, my first job in high school was at TCBY, um, which I'm not sure if it's around anymore, but um, that's kind of where it all started. And it just, uh, you know, I was always, my parents were very health conscious. And so at that time in the 80s, uh, frozen yogurt was considered healthy. And so I kind of bought into that. I didn't, you know, wasn't so concerned with the artificial stuff that I was, you know, filling myself with and was very happy to feel this like kind of guilt free um, enjoyment from frozen yogurt. And so I think it just grew more intense as I got to college and um, 
even through, you know, after graduation, I was having frozen yogurt as like meal replacements. I mean, I just, I loved it. I love frozen. Um, I guess my treat of choice was always frozen, whether it was ice cream or frozen yogurt. And so, um, that's really where this all started. See, now I wonder, well, one, at TCBY, were you the person uh, that all the friends visited during school trying to get free scoops and fro Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when we opened our first store, I had painful memories of yeah. what I knew the staff was doing, you know, when we weren't there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we, I would come in uh, to TCBY and there would be signs all over that said, do not do whippets <laughs> with the whipped cream. I I remember uh, my friend worked at J.P. Licks in yep. Boston. Oh, yes. And stopping by and seeing them. Yes, there were those canisters for all the whipped cream. Not yep. that I ever partook in no. whippets or whipped cream. I went Same. straight for the ice cream. Yes. And my first date with my husband, he took me to J.P. Licks. Oh, Because I went to school in Boston, outside yeah. of Boston. Excellent. That's so funny. Uh, cookies, coffee, and cream. Best flavor yep. ever. I'm, I'm not going to disagree. And the second question is is about Froyo in general during the 80s. What was that marketing ploy that made people think it's healthy? What were the words that they used and what wasn't healthy about it? Right. Um, so then it was fat-free, um, at times sugar-free. I mean, just putting the word free in anything was... Um, you know, pleasing to the consumer. And if you didn't, you know, we didn't have as much information available to us as we do now. So you couldn't really, you know, now if you talk about um, health or, or, you know, healthy diet fads, everyone's a little more educated because there's just so much information out there. Um, so you really can't just use buzzwords and convince people that, you know, what you're selling is good for them, um, which I think was really important to us in starting this company was being really transparent and understanding that the consumer is very smart and we're not trying to fool anybody. And so with our ingredients, we just wanted to keep it as simple and clean as possible, which uh, I'm sure we'll get to, but it's just fruit, water, and cane sugar. And really that's it. I remember someone from college who also did the meal replacement with soft serve and throw you an ice cream and gained that, you know, almost requisite uh, freshman 15 yep. <laughs> um, and then kept on gaining until it got to a point where they realized they were eating so much sugar and yeah. I mean the caloric intake was nuts but again assume that it was healthy because it had been marketed that way for so long right I mean what I mean when you're eliminating so many things to say it's free you're adding it somewhere else and so just all the artificial flavors was also just Forget about just the weight aspect of it, but the health aspect, which is what I really became concerned with when we started this, because I was looking at becoming pregnant and having kids and thinking about what I was going to eat during my pregnancy, what I would feed my children who I anticipated would inherit the sweet tooth that I have. And I really became kind of just concerned and wanted to kick it from my diet and um, never have to introduce it to my kids. See. Having worked at TCBY, were you uh, hoping someday to own a franchise? Like, did you see futures in ever owning a company based in frozen at, treats? At that time, not at all. I mean, this did not, it was not my path. I was, I mean, I've had many different interests, yeah, yeah. but. You were um, a consumer rather I than I was a consumer for sure. And it was, you know, it was definitely high school and it was social. And I did have my friends coming to me to help clean up. You know, they mopped the floor. I'd give them some frozen yogurt. Um, and so. It was uh, it, it just fit nicely into my lifestyle, and it was something I enjoyed. 
you spent some time as a assistant district attorney, and we were talking right before the show that you knew all the undercover officers <laughs> in Washington Square Park. Again, I wish I knew you back then. Yes. Um, why that path, and why did you ever leave that position to pursue this? Yeah. Um, so I don't know that I ever dreamt of law school or being an attorney, but um, in college, I became very interested in, in all the courses I was taking in political science, and um, I started... I had a kind of theatrical bug and uh, was pursuing theater uh, when I graduated college and realized I didn't think the life of a starving actress was for me. So I was thinking, you know, it was it's ironic, but the two uh, paths I was considering were both law school or nutrition school. And I felt like nutrition was such a part of my everyday, something that like I thought about like as my just as living. And I thought I wanted to do something different in my for my career. So I went to law school and I really just loved the courtroom. And I started working um, with Barry Sheck with the Innocence Project. Uh, and that was my real exposure to criminal law um, and working on the defense side. And so as kind of I worked my way through law school, I... Um, decided that I liked the idea of being on the other side and being able to kind of um, just be, you know, have that kind of uh, experience and education. And it was just a super quick learning curve. And um, I got, you know, firsthand experience from like day one. You just get thrown in there and it was super exciting and exhilarating. So I I loved it. Now the question is, because I live near Cadden Plaza in Brooklyn, where did you eat for lunch? Because there's such a rush out of the courthouse of people (laughs) trying to get something fast, easy, and usually it's not the healthiest option. Well, it's funny. So I, you know, I was in Manhattan and it's uh, Chinatown. And so there were a lot of fun options, but I, it was, it was a very long, busy day and you didn't have much time. And I would run out and get these fruit salads, these carts of, they had these like fruit carts where they would chop up any fruit you can imagine. And it always looked so fresh and delicious, even though it was on the street. And that was my lunch. And it was not nutritious and it wasn't probably, it wasn't substantial enough, but it was fast. And it, again, it fed that like sweet tooth that I had. And um, you know, filled me up until I went into my um, my office mate's drawer and like picked up his, his snacks. Yeah. So the sweet tooth. Let's explore that for a second because aside from frozen treats, what is it? Um, I would say if I don't, if I'm not going for frozen, I'd say like cookies, granola. Mm-hmm. Like those, those that those are my. Uh, I like how apprehensive you were because you're like, no, it's actually just frozen. No, it actually for real. is. I was like, really, you're gonna make me come up with something else? <laughs> yeah. Um, aside from your own, I mean, predating Chloe's fruit, uh, what were your go-to brands from supermarkets, from bodegas? Um, well, so I, I mean, pretty much the frozen yogurt thing. I would go to Tasty Delight. You know, that was like a hot thing then, um, until. You know, there was a lot of controversy about around Tasty Delight and how they were marketing and um, disclosing their nutritional information. So that kind, I started kind of shying away from there. Tell me about that. It was more. It was more around not their frozen yogurt, but mm-hmm. they had a line of like muffins 
and anyone who was a fan at the time would know it was a, it was all the rage was that they were they were lying about the um, fat content in their uh, low fat muffins. Yeah, I think there was a Seinfeld episode where Kramer eats or they all eat the the fat free froyo from somewhere, and then it's later you know uh, yeah. revealed that it was full yeah of fat. that was right exactly. So that was um, that was definitely a part of my uh, my a dramatic part of my life. But um, so that. That was probably the biggest one at the time, um, and then in the su- I didn't really I didn't really purchase it in the supermarket. Um, I know growing up, my parents were like I said, pretty health conscious, and they always if they would have sweets, it was always Briars. Like they thought it was the cleanest ice cream, and to this day, I find myself kind of telling my kids, oh, if we're going to have ice cream, we'll have briars. Because <laughs> you can see the beans and the vanilla. It's like, it's still in my mind. <laughs> well, what is the division between ice cream and other frozen treats? Um, I'm, for me, I, I think I have one child who loves sweets, but <clears throat> really doesn't like dairy. She's not allergic, but it just she just has a thing against milk. She loves cheese. So for her, any creamy ice cream with dairy in it just doesn't just doesn't work. So um, I think for most people, if they're making the distinction, it's either calorically or they're an allergen, some type of reaction to dairy. Yeah, I mean, I was lactose intolerant for a handful of years. Yeah. And then uh, luckily found my... My, my pleasure at Uncle Luigi's, the Italian ice company that's yes. in and around uh, the Northeast. Yes. Um, and it sucked because I love ice cream and I love that style of frozen treat. Uh, went to school in Boston and, you know, Cape Cod or New England during yeah. the summer. Oh, I think Massachusetts actually consumes the most ice cream per capita in the country. And a ton that's during an the winter, too. Stat. So I was in this area yeah. that, and I couldn't partake. Mm-hmm. Um, it like drove me nuts. We get so much feedback about that, about, um, you know, more so from parents about their kids, how how thankful they are to have something that their kids can enjoy while they're while the other children are running around and, you know, eating Mr. Softy. They're able to have for allergen sensitive kids. It's really a nice um, alternative. You have a few kids now. And this sweet tooth was prior to children. I'm mm-hmm. sure you must have had your cravings as well. Um, what were those pregnancy cravings? Um, I think I, I wasn't that, I really didn't have anything that unusual. Um, I think probably I craved, like, I remember craving bagels. Like, that was that was as weird as it got. Yeah. <laughs> bagels weren't a part of my, like, diet normally. And so bagels was something I always remember being like, specific to pregnancy, uh, but I certainly didn't lose the sweet tooth during yeah. my pregnancy. Well, you also told me a little tidbit about when your water broke. Yes, when my water broke and my husband was like, okay, babe, this is it. This is your last meal as a pregnant woman. What are you going to do? And I had frozen yogurt <laughs> and it was just, I'm a little ashamed. No, no, I like someone who stands behind yes. the general theme of their brand. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk about nothing more than fruit, water, and cane sugar. You've been listening to the fruits, the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? 
You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718-362-3539. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Lisa Held, and I'm the host of The Farm Report here on HRN. The Farm Report is a show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Expect from the field insights as guests explore how producing fresh, delicious food relates to environmental and community sustainability, justice, and better health. You can find The Farm Report wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Chloe Epstein of Chloe's Fruit. So, three things. Fruit, water, cane sugar. And you've built an empire out of those three things, the tenets of using only that trifecta. Uh, how, how did you arrive at a point where you realized you needed nothing more than that? Um, first, I like the empire <laughs> category. I like being put in there. Um, so, the idea came from, like I said, my desire to create something clean and alternative to frozen yogurt. My partner, um, Michael Sloan, was a triathlete, and he always had a ton of overripened frozen bananas. He didn't know what to do with them. He froze them. He stuck them in the fr- freezer and waited to kind of like feel yeah, <laughs> like making, cooking, so baking something. Bread, yeah. Exactly. And so we, uh, he knew what I was kind of looking to do and my, my um, knowledge of the uh, frozen treat scene. And so we just kind of started experimenting with the frozen bananas in every appliance in the kitchen and realized that there's a way to create that creamy sen- sensation with just the fruit. So we ended up talking to a restaurant consultant who put us in touch with um, the Taylor manufacturers, those soft serve machines. Mm -hmm. And we just went and started testing. We had um, a food engineer come and help us because he could calibrate the machines. We didn't really understand what that was all about. He came from finance. I came from uh, the district attorney's office. And we just said, we want to keep this as minimal as possible. So it wasn't specifically to be you know, dairy-free or gluten-free. It was just, let's be as close to a fruit as possible. And so we dilute the fruit with water. And when you dilute it with water, the sugar level drops. And it's called a bricks level. And so when you put it through the machine, it would freeze up. If you put the sugar back in, it allows it to come through the machine in the creamy consistency. So we had the fruit, we had the water, and then we decided, you know, we need to put the sugar in. What sugar are we going to use? We tried um, stevia, agave, all that stuff. It just didn't, it didn't work with the taste. It kind of either left an aftertaste or we'd have to use more than we wanted to. Organic cane sugar at the time, um, now we use a combination of organic and, and non-organic in our pops, um, 
worked really well and we weren't didn't have to use a lot. It has nothing to do with the taste. The fruit itself is sweet enough. It was really just the science of it, trying to get it through the machine. And we started with four fruits. Uh, banana was the obvious one. So we wanted to, you know, obviously make sure we can make it work with uh, fruits other than banana. And once we had the four fruits, we opened our first store. And the idea then was really just to open a, a retail shop and possibly a few more. Um, pops were never in the cards. <laughs> so then at what point did you say, this is going really well, uh, we need third-party capital? Um, we, we, I would say when we started, we started shifting to um, food service uh, after we had opened our first shop on the Upper East Side. We opened a second shop in Union Square. We had a seasonal shop in the Hamptons in Long Island. Uh, and... We started doing food service where we would distribute our mix to locations that had machines. Um, and then it started to get, you know, bigger than what we had originally planned. Um, and so, you know, that's when we started to feel like, okay, we, we have a business here. And we have um, other aspects of just the retail shop that we want to pursue. And food service was growing in terms of, you know, we started in a few schools, we went to camps, we went to cafeteria, you know, um, corporate cafes, entertainment venues, uh, hospitals, um, and it was limiting in that you needed to have a machine. So that was, that was kind of where we found a little bit of a challenge. We wanted to be more accessible. And that's really where the pops came in. Um, but... The pops, we were not planned again. I had, I was going on a, on some food segment on a show. We wanted to do something different. So we decided to take our soft serve, put it in a pop mold and we left the extras. We wrapped them in cellophane. We put them in our, our freestanding freezer in our Upper East Side store and a big camp in New York came in and ordered 5,000 of them. Wow. So we were suddenly in the pop business. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were able to, or we were able to offer the, um, single serve pops to all these wholesale accounts that we were servicing. Uh, and then it wasn't until 2014 that we went into um, the consumer packaged good business. Yeah. Uh, what's been the biggest order of frozen bananas that you've ever, like you must get it delivered by the pallet and where does it go? Pallet, yeah, yeah. So now, I mean, we went from pr uh, producing in our Upper East Side store in the basement to a small um place in uh, Long Island City and now we have th third party co-packers. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely the, the trajectory of the business changed and um, you know the scale obviously has, has definitely changed a lot. Well let's talk about these core flavors that you have. I know you started out with four but now you have that many more. There's raspberry, strawberry, blueberry, pomegranate, pineapple, mango, tangerine. Um, my favorite is the cold pressed coffee. Oh. Uh, I'm not a huge coffee drinker, so I kind of like having coffee ice creams and frozen yeah. treats to kind of temper the caffeine. Um, and then there's a really great dairy-free chocolate as well. First of all, which one's your favorite? Um, so, I'm always so torn. So we're talking pops now. So I would say it's interesting. I'm not a chocolate person. Um, I choose vanilla over chocolate any day. Um, but I love our dark chocolate. Um, I think it it's, has that... It's has a little. It's a little bit of a sophisticated chocolate taste. 
Um, so I, that's one of my favorites. And the blueberry. I love the blueberry. I think it's uh, it's very different than what else is out there. There's really no pure blueberry pop out there. Um, and I think it just tastes like biting into some blueberries. And, and I think that's what I was so impressed about. I stopped by your 17th Street location. And it is right by Union Square. And, you know, the, the green markets are the yeah. basket, the bounty of all this uh, fruit. Um, do you get inspiration from the fruit that is there? Because it did taste like the purest form of whatever that pop was that I've tasted. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we haven't yet um, dabbled with making complicated flavors or what we call varieties. Um, We just kind of have kept it simple and straightforward, the fruit itself. Um, We do take the having the market there is just so tremendous. We do a lot of like experimenting in terms of choppings in the store with the different fruits that are offered in the market. So during the summer, we'll change around our toppings to offer, you know, the peaches or nectarines or um, whatever seems, you know, seasonal. Uh, so that's always that always feels really nice. But um, it's funny, the cold brew, uh, we partnered with La Colombe for uh, the cold brew coffee pop. And um, that's been a like a tremendous um, partnership for us. Just in terms of we started it in the store. We started selling the La Colombe coffee cans. Then we went to uh, making the soft serve with it. And then we graduated to kind of the, the pops and supermarkets. And we met La Colombe through the Chobani Food Incubator, uh, which was something that we took part in um, over a year ago, which was amazing. Well, I have so many questions spawning off of what you just said. Uh, And one is focusing on the New York store and actually how great it is that it's not just pops and soft serve. There are fruit smoothies, there's breakfast inspired bowls, um, and it all has to do with the combination and toppings and way things fit into a bowl. The second is the partnerships that you've been so smart at exploring, not only working with a coffee company, but there are extensions now with Nickelodeon. And then third, that Chobani incubator, I, I want to know how you were named a food disruptor in 2017, <laughs> what, what that entailed and what you got out of working with Chobani. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I love that we can say that we were a part of it. Um, it's, uh, it was extremely beneficial. It still is to this day. Chobani, um, the experience itself um, was so... Uh, not you know just served us so well in every aspect but it they really open up their family to their cohorts or other brands that they work with um and so you know we were able to take advantage of being a part of it because we were prox- we were such close proximity to their offices whereas a lot of our other classmates had to travel into the city so I think they saw a lot more of us than they probably wanted to. But <laughs> as they, long as you brought them frozen treats, exactly, I'm sure they were fine. We did. We kept the freezer stocked. But they were just amazing at helping us through any challenge that would come up, you know, while we were there and to, to this day. So they... I mean, what were some of those challenges? Um, there, you know, there's always something with, you know, trying to meet with a buyer that won't meet with us or... Um, PR challenges that you anticipate that might not even happen, but you want to know how to prepare for them. Um, They really just connected us with any and everyone in every department and made made everyone accessible to us. So when we were applying for it, um, we were given some feedback from, uh, you know, friends, family, people in the business that we were probably a little too far along in our stage of, of, 
of being in supermarkets to get much from it. And it was really just the opposite. We were able, because we had a lot of experience under our belt and knew uh, kind of the challenges that we've had and, and expect to have, we were able to really take advantage of of um, just the whole process. Was adding partnerships with, say, Nickelodeon part of an extension of Chobani Incubator? Uh, not with Nickelodeon, but the, the La Colombe is a direct um, result of the incubator. They introduced us to La Colombe and... Um, have supported the partnership and made everything very easy for us. And so... um, Then who brought you Thomas the Train? Thomas the Train? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Michael's kids are at that age now, so I think maybe he had like an eye for that. But um, we were approached uh, by them to, I think, Nickelodeon, as well as many other um, brands now, are looking to really clean up... um, clean up the aisle that they're in. So uh, they have a lot of other frozen part, frozen treat partners out there. And I think they're looking to um, be a little cleaner for the kids and market in, in that kind of way to parents and, and kids. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, every once in a while, I'd get whatever Disney character was at the truck, you know, if it had a gumball eye yeah. or, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants, you, mm-hmm. you see in most of the frozen yeah. treat sections. But you're right. They, I, I never thought they're all very dairy-based and very dense. Yeah, um, uh, very sugary, very, like, artificial. Um, and so I think they're we're really trying to make a concerted effort to shift into a cleaner space for kids. Um, and it really makes sense. I mean, that's, you know, get them young and, and you have them with the characters that they can identify with and get excited about. And then suddenly they're choosing something that's a little healthier than the alternative. So um, our pops are two and a half ounces. They're a little big for kids. And so we were looking for a way to really attract the kids. And this was the perfect um, foray into into that um, have, being able to to partner with you know the best in in the kind of kids category and kids space. Yeah, and this health focused idea extends even to your shops where if you don't want what already is a healthy soft serve, you can turn it into a fruit smoothie. You can add kale and spinach and almond milk. Um, what brought you to making breakfast inspired bowls? Um, so we were you know it's obviously a challenge with uh, a frozen treat during the off seasons. So we were always looking to expand the menu so you could kind of really survive during the colder months. So we were always looking for ways to just um, be able to offer more, but stay true to who we are. So, you know, we didn't want to start offering soup because that's just not us or, you know, it could be eventually one day, but at this stage, we wanted to really focus on what we knew and what we were good at and cementing the Chloe's name with, you know, fruit and, um, that kind of frozen clean treat. So um, I think we, you know, we started getting a little, little experimenting with our toppings. You know, when we first opened, we had a salsa topping with our mango soft serve to make it like a Mexican type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, people would love to ask about it and laugh about it, but it didn't. It didn't do so well. So that came off the menu quickly. But um, we started to figure out ways to, you know, be more, uh, I guess, uh, attractive for the morning for different parts of the day because people tend to think of, you know, soft serve as more of like a late in the day kind of um, snack. And we wanted to really just just kind of come up with ways to change that mindset. I mean, it's fruit. 
It's fruit. It's water. Exactly. So it's just, uh, you know, we had one of our um, slogans was a cool way to eat fruit. And so that was what we were trying to do, just make fun, cool ways to think about fruit. And so we, um, you know, started with the smoothies and then it kind of built to um, bowls and um, we had oatmeal. We do still have oatmeal for catering. So, so uh, yeah, we've, we've been building on that. Let's talk about uh, the crunchy salty. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we've talked about it in the vein of uh, it being very clean, uh, very straightforward, but it's also fun. Mm-hmm. Talk about those extensions. So it's funny because the crunchy salty, what ha- has been our top seller since the day we opened our first store in 2010. Um, and I think there's something about that savory and salty combination with the fruit that, um, uh, you know, people are attracted to. But yeah, the idea is that all the toppings in the store are still the cleanest, made with the cleanest ingredients. So our sprinkles don't have dyes in them. Um, Our, you know, our peanut butter is the peanut butter from Peanut Butter Company. It's just clean. And so you can, you can uh, indulge, have a, have a nice base to your, to your indulging treat, um, which is the soft serve and just add, um, Add some fun to it, but um, in in a way that you can feel good about. I realize it's a steamy day, and you gave me a frozen treat, yeah. and it's melting right in front of us. And I had to dive in because the crunchy salty has the chocolate banana thing going. Yes, on. it does. And that is my favorite. That is by and far. And when that show Arrested Development came out, and they mm-hmm. had the frozen banana stand, I, I took it as a mission to have frozen bananas dipped in chocolate wherever I could go. And <laughs> now I found my New York release, which is close. Oh, I love it. Um, what what other Fruits and flavors and innovations are you trying to add to the repertoire? Uh, so we just, um, like you said, we just in, it launched our um, our pops dipped in chocolate, and it's a dipped in a dairy-free dark chocolate. So um, we really wanted to still keep the dairy-free aspect to the line. And uh, we have our banana, strawberry, and a dark chocolate pop dipped in dairy-free dark chocolate. The dark chocolate one is rolled in quinoa, a quinoa puff. Um, for a little crunchy fun. And um, the Nickelodeon Pops are part of our most recent launch, which um, you had mentioned, but the innovation other than just the partnership is that it's a smaller pop and it's uh, two fruits in one. So we have the Nickelodeon uh, Thomas the Train Pop, which is blueberry banana combined, and Sunny Day, which is a character that's not as familiar um, to everyone, but uh, she is uh, represented with a mango and strawberry swirl. And so we're working on other fruit all the time um, and other fruit combinations and um, some other stuff. <laughs> can you hear me chewing as much as I can hear me chewing? In Not my at all. <laughs> because, but um, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny. My wife hates the sound of um, me eating ice pops, the crunch, crunch, crunch. But you don't get that. Because there isn't that crystallization. You know, it is such a smooth texture. Well, it's also, you you let it thaw probably Mm. to the, like, the recommended amount. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It always is, we always try to encourage um, everyone to let it sit a little outside the freezer. And the interesting thing is that when we started selling to camps, the feedback was that um, our pops melted much slower Mm. than other pops. And that was why... You know, they loved it for all the other reasons that we've already talked about. But the fact that the kids could like 
sit with them and not be a total disaster after eating one was really appealing. Um, so we started calling it the slow drip factor. Mm. And it's because there are we don't have any um, stabilizers. It's just the fruit and it, it binds together really well and just stays frozen longer. I mean, it's true because... By now, I would be covered in right. a drip of something. I mean, not to say I'm not covered You're doing in chocolate. Well. <laughs> Thank God it's a podcast rather than a <laughs> performance. But yeah, it, it it stays cold too in its core because when a lot of other frozen treats melt, it just turns into yeah. a puddle. Yep, and that's all just because it's you know just the real ingredients and nothing of the fake stuff. Let's talk about what I think are your two big sex of a clientele and that is adults and children because mm-hmm. the adults have to bring the kids in is there a division of flavors or are you targeting the same clientele over and over you know it's funny we have internally that conversation all the time you know when when you think you've had it figured out we um tend to revisit the topic um but initially we thought we were always talking to moms um who are you know, making their decisions for themselves and for their kids and their families. Uh, and the original line of what we call our core pops, um, flavor-wise, I think everything was meant for everyone other than we thought the dark chocolate was more for an adult, for a, for a female adult, for that, like, chocolate craving. Other than that, the fruits, really, we don't just have an, And the coffee. The coffee has caffeine. We put it on the box. It's not for kids. Um, but, you know... The chocolate dipped as well. I think we we envision it being more for adults. Um, the dark chocolate isn't as appealing to kids. We find that you know when we are selling to camps and schools, they don't necessarily go for the dark chocolate. I think the word dark in front of it kind of scares them away. They're, you know, milk chocolate I think is a little more appealing to kids. Of the pops uh, and even the soft serve, I know you sell through Kroger. Albertson, Safeway, Publix. Uh, what are your best sellers, and why do you think that is? Mango, mm. like mango. By and far, yeah. <laughs> um, dark chocolate is getting there, um, which is what kind of inspired us to do the dipped line because we saw that there was this um, interest and like craving for something a little more indulgent. And I think that's what the dark chocolate is. So dark chocolate is 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 working its way up to number two. Um, and almost at number one, but mango um, f- since the beginning and in our store as well with the soft serve is really just beats them all out. And I, I'm, I mean, I clean that pop. <laughs> you did. That, that, that was delicious. <laughs> and I'm not going to stop at one and not feel guilty Do about not. it all. Um, I know you have a few children. Do they get tired of these pops? Do they offer innovation? They do not get tired. They love being part of every aspect of it. Um, They, you know, are constantly giving me ideas, you know, whether or not I am (laughs) inclined to pass them along, but they, uh, they come up with different, you know, taglines. They come up with different fruits they'd like me to try. They give me feedback from the school because their pops are given out at their school and their camp and many of their friends' schools and camps. And so they will, you know, ask questions and give me feedback. They are not shy to tell me which ones the kids don't like. And so um, it's nothing like having an honest, uh, honest feedback at all times, but they don't tire of it. They actually, they love that they know there's something that I'm going to say yes to, you know, that they feel is a little bad because to them it's still a treat. 
And they know that I'm just going to be like, yeah, sure. You know, come home from school. You want to pop? That's fine. Um, for their birthday, when they can bring in anything to school as a treat, they're still at that age. I think this is actually the last year for that, <laughs> which is really sad. But um, they request to bring in, you know, Chloe's. So um, they really, they really, truly, I think, I mean, they take pride in it, but I think they really enjoy it. Lastly, I was going through your site, and I don't know where I found this quote, but it says, above everything else I've done, I've always said that I've had more guts than I've got talent. That's Dolly Parton. I think it might have been on a blog that you had attached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you should change it uh, from guts to bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I will see you uh, every day, every opportunity I can uh, at, at Chloe's Fruit on 17th Street and in 13,000 supermarkets because this is going to be my go-to summer treat. I love it. Thank you again for coming on The Food Scene. Thank you. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to our sponsor, Music by Cookies and Matt Patterson Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com backslash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.